Welcome to the Yoga Liberty Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to share with you a front runner in the yoga world, someone who is making big waves and impacting. Sienna Sherman is here today to share her story of why she became a yoga teacher, how she became a yoga teacher, and what she's doing now. And I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled to turn it over to her. So welcome, Sienna. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you, Angelica. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to have met you and to be here with you right now. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you so much. So what were you doing before you became a yoga teacher? What was your life like? Yes, well, this started a long time ago, so about 35 years ago or so, and I was um, on track of medical school. And so in my younger years and then through my teen years and up through university, I was really focused on becoming a medical doctor um, in the allopathic tradition. And as I, I really had like a singular aim, I, I really feel that I was just very focused on that. And I also excelled in the academic world, which um, I loved studying. I still love studying. I'm just an avid student of life. And so I really excelled in that world and it kind of became my identity um, in the outer world. On the inner world though, I was crashing and burning and self-sabotaging. And by the time I hit my teens, I, I hit it really hard. I felt um, very much, I didn't have the language or the resources or the tools at the time, but I really felt like I hit the dark night of the soul uh, mm. by the age of 13. And so then as I went through my teen years, even though I was excelling in the academic world, my internal world was falling apart and there was a lot of self-sabotage and I had eating disorders and then I turned to a lot of substance abuse and um, a lot of alcohol and then just, you know, spanning these worlds, I started, I was a very rebellious kind of person too. That's a little bit part of my nature, but it wasn't working for me at that time. So um, I progressively became more and more uh, unhealthy in my own mind. And I knew this and I was watching myself becoming more and more addicted to substances and partying way too much, but also really holding this academic excellence. And so I was pushing at every end. And then in university, a lot, I came, I come from a very devotional family from a, a Catholic background. Oh, same. So, <laughs> yes. So I understand I, that. <laughs> yeah. And the, the beauty of it was, is that there was a strong devotion to to the moreness, to the source, to God, goddess, whatever the language is. Um, for our family all the way through, it was Mother Mary. Now I left the Catholic church at a very young age because I didn't like the patriarchy and I didn't like the institution of the church. Um, so I left in my teens and I was quite vocal and rebellious about it. However, what I carried through with me was the power of love, of kindness, of devotion, of compassion. So while I was undergoing um, really just a total melt 
meltdown in my physical being. And I also came to the point where I didn't want to live anymore. And so I was constantly filled with suicidal thoughts and even this a couple- in medical school or even this before? Is, this is all in my late teens now. So now wow. I'm in- And so I would simultaneously go to churches that were focused on Mother Mary. And I would ask the priest if I they would let me in by myself because I didn't want to go to the organized mass, but I wanted to just go be with her. And I would like pray and I dance for her and I would ask for help and I'd write letters to Mother Mary, you know, I was like, I need help. And so there's a whole series of events that happens. I end up starting to work for Amnesty with Amnesty International uh, when I got to university and we were really focused on the freedom of Nelson Mandela. And that was like really our singular focus on the campus. And we held these big vigils and events and all sorts of things. And then in the year of 1989, so all this was amping up. My awareness is growing, my consciousness is growing, but I'm still very unhealthy inside my own mind and psyche. I'm still excelling in academia, like all these things are happening. And then the Berlin Wall came down. I remember and that. that. Was like, yeah. well, and I was in my bedroom and um, where I was living at the university and I was watching this happen and I was crying and my heart was breaking open and then this whole imagery opened up inside of me where I saw like a high hard wall around my own heart that needed to be broken down and I just got it like everything that was going on in the world was also happening in me and that I wanted freedom and then I was working with Amnesty International for freedom of Nelson Mandela and for humanity and then we held this huge vigil on campus and um, we had like a couple thousand people on campus everyone was holding a candle and we were all like in our eyes closed I didn't exactly know meditation at that time but I was in meditation and then a photographer took my photo and it made this loud like sound like the shutter and I woke like I opened my eyes and I ended up being on the front paper of the newspaper, but in that moment I burst into tears and it was as if something broke open inside of me I ended up I was a cocktail waitress I did a lot of that you know to. (laughs) yeah yeah and um, shortly after that. It's like 2 a.m. at this bar where I'm cocktailing and I go up to get the tray of drinks and the bartender looks at me and goes, you know, you should um, you should take yoga. And I was like, what? Like no one had ever said that to me. I was from super ultra conservative, conservative, conservative land world in Kentucky. I'd never heard about these things. Oh, you're from Kentucky. I went Um, to the University of Cincinnati. Oh, so did I. Oh, you did? (laughs) <laughs> that's where yeah, I went I have degrees in women's studies and English literature from UC that's so awesome yep so okay. then we were we're, we're in the stream yeah. the bartender goes you really I really feel that um you need to take yoga and I said well can you explain it to me and the bartender goes you know what the truth is is I don't know anything about it but I just said that to you and I don't even know why. So then wow. I New York City and because again I'm a I was a big clubber and out at a lot of you know dancing all night and all the things and I would go up to New York to go to the clubs there. 
And one night I got locked out, like really within two weeks of everything I'm talking about, I got locked out of the place I was staying. And so I just started walking around on the streets and I found a bookstore in New York that was open all night. And so I walked in and it was cold, it was like December. And I said to the uh, man that standing at the front, I said, can I just come in? I got locked out and can I just hang out here for a couple hours? He's like, come on in. So I walked across the threshold and I played this game with myself. And I said, I'm, I'm gonna walk around and whatever book jumps out at me, I'm just gonna sit down and read it from you know cover to cover. So I'm walking around and a book fell on my head and I caught it <laughs> and it was called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. And Whoa. I and read this book and my whole being like was just exploding with like a just like, I know this, I know this, I've been waiting to hear this, this is what I know. And right after that, my whole life just started to move really fast. I ended up leaving the path of uh, medicine. Well, I suspect, I, what's the words? Um, I took a year. So I graduated from university and I said, okay, I'm gonna take one year to discover myself. And then I'm coming back to medical school. But right. in that one year, <laughs> in that one year, and I had an advisor that I was talking to up at Columbia University in New York, Isabella Contento, and she looked at me and she said, you know, after this one year, you're not coming back. And I was like, oh, Isabella, I'm coming back, you know? So I ended up taking this year and I lived in like on a commune and then some ashrams and I went to Ireland because I'm Irish and, all, and then I went all through Europe and I was practicing yoga everywhere. And I lived with Nishio and Aveline Kushi of the Macrobiotic Institute. And oh, I, I love macrobiotics. So I went this whole thing and it, anyway, it just keeps, exploding open sure enough i go back a year later to uh, isabella's office up in new york and and she looked at me and she said you're not coming back are you and i said isabella the world is so big it's so amazing and then i went to india and then ashrams and more and more yoga and you know here 35 36 years later i'm basically still doing the same thing <laughs> You know, it's really interesting because I I grew up in Ohio and went to the University of Cincinnati. And I feel like in that area, people really don't leave there. They stay there. They don't go out to the world. So me too, when I when I moved out to Vegas, when I first left Ohio and moved to Las Vegas, I was like, what? This world is vast. You know, and they don't like in that community is so tight, neat, knit, and they don't want you to see like all this other, I don't know if it's fear or what it is that stops people from going out and seeing the world. But yeah, I got a job with an international company and I traveled in France and all over Europe and went to Costa Rica and India and Jamaica <laughs> and, you know, and I was like, this is amazing, you know? And um, so it's really like, really pretty phenomenal to do all that who would you say was like your main teachers like when you just you know like who did you mainly feel really connected to right from the very beginning so i've had a very big journey and i tend to go all in like whatever it is in my life you know so i'm just kind of go the um where i first started it it 
I actually took my first yoga classes in Chicago. There's a whole okay. very fun story about that because I would cocktail and then I would rollerblade to the clubs and I would dance all night. And then I would rollerblade to the lake at sunrise and I would do my sun salutations and I would sit for meditation and then I would cry a lot. And then I'd go home and sleep until like four o'clock in the afternoon and I'd do it all. <laughs> That sounds like Las Vegas. That, that, was, that was my, uh, you know, first beginnings. And then um, I, after I traveled through Europe, I studied with every yoga teacher I could find. And I was going to all the macrobiotic places and I was really discovering my roots. I really wanted to be in Ireland a lot because I'm Irish and I also have a lot of Polish. Um, oh, which I, my family's Polish. And so yeah. I'm waiting to go to Poland and discover more of that. Um, aspect of my lineage too, but I was really drawn to Ireland. And so I was like studying, I found all sorts of metaphysical and yoga teachers there. And I found a teacher there that would teach meditation. We'd start at midnight and we would meditate. Oh. Sunrise. I That really called to me because I was coming out of the dance club world where I was used to being up all night. In the middle of the night. Yeah. Midnight until sunrise. So that really worked for me. And then I came back and then I went to naturopathic medical school. So here's where I started to bridge. I was like, oh, there's something called integrative medicine. There's naturopathic medical school. So I moved um, out to Seattle and went to Bastyr College for a year. Another whole beautiful story. But while I was there, I really um, started studying deeply Iyengar yoga. And mm. that very much appealed to me because I had this whole scientific background and I loved the the body and the biology and the physiology and the mm -hmm. functional, uh, anatomy and so I I went pretty deep into that I'm a good fan, I'm a good fan. yes <laughs> I had a lot of teachers through the Iyengar tradition and I apprenticed with an amazing woman named Janet Hockfeld in Oregon which is another big part of my story but then I went to India and um, I said, okay, I'm gonna go meet Iyengar. And did you meet Iyengar? Yeah. And so it's that's a whole that's more funny stories. But my Iyengar teacher in Seattle said, you'll you know you have to apply way ahead of time and all this stuff. And I was like, well, I, like I don't have time for that. I'm leaving like next week, so I'm just gonna go and find them. So I, so I traveled through India for a year. And there's an amazing story of how that opened up in my world. And then I said to my counselor at Bastyr, I said, I'm going to just put this on hold. I, I took a year. Now I'm going to take a year off. I did the same thing. And they were like, uh-huh, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go to India for the year. <laughs> and the, my counselor there said, you know, after, I don't think you're coming back, <laughs> which would be true because I came back a year later and I said, you know, I think I'm going to keep going in my journey. So I go to India for a year, whole, so many things happen. Um, I start off with Sri Aurobindo and Oroville and I'm traveling. I met Patabi Joyce right away. And, you know, and then I was like going up and then I went to um, up to the Himalayas and then I went to Pune and I was like, I'm going to go to, uh, to the Iyengar. Iyengar. Yeah. So I had this Ayurvedic teacher uh, Vivek Shanbag in at Bastyr and he said he had given me this little note he's like go stay with my family in Pune and I 
just like put the little note in my back pocket or a backpack. And when, by the time I got to Pune, like, you know, six months later, I remembered I had this note. So I found the phone and I called his sister, uh, Shayla. She's like, yes, come on over, come stay with us. And I ended up living with them. So I said, can you take me to this Iyengar Institute? And they said, oh, we've heard about it. We've never been there. So every day I would go sit on the front step until someone would come talk to me because they'd open, they say, did you apply? I said, no, but I really just want to meet Iyengar. <laughs> Finally, the, they come in and they say, okay, you, he says you can come in and you can go stay in the library and just read all the books you want. So then I was allowed to come in and go to the library and read the books. And then they invited me into the shala and then I was allowed to observe classes, but I was never allowed to take them. But I got to observe Iyengar and Gita and his son. And so this went on. And then the Indian family that I was living with, they ended up going to the Institute and became students there. And so this all opened up. It was so much fun. And I got invited to these special events to hear Iyengar talk and do demos and all this. Then I keep going on my journeys. And the next big thing, um, I'll just wrap this up, is that through a whole series of just serendipity and just divine guidance, I ended up in Ganesh Puri. And the day, two days or three days after I landed, there was all this commotion going on. And I was like, what's going on? Because I showed up there really sick. And so I was like in a state of fever. And they're like, Gurumai, you know, is coming. I was like, who's Gurumai? <laughs> So then, because I'm all like 23, or I'm just, you know, I don't know, really, I'm just like landing in places. So I come, um, I'm walking down the hall, this big hall, and I see all of these amazing kind of paintings and photos of this Indian man. And I go up to the front desk and I say, can you tell me where I can meet that man? Because I've been seeing him in my dreams for six months and he keeps hitting me on the head with a peacock Whoa. feather. And they're like, well, that is Baba Muktananda and he's taken Maha Samadhi. And, I'm, and I said, well, what's Maha Samadhi? Where do I find him? And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> not here on the physical earth but then that's how i got there was through the so i'm gonna stop now because i can go on and on and, and maha samadhi is, is passing in like what westerners would call dying yes so yeah. it's it's the the rite of passage into the celestial realms and into the next realms but with total like consciousness and yeah. the empowerment of it of just waking up waking up waking up waking up and then being able to serve you know from that realm and to still really assist and support humanity and to those that don't speak sanskrit maha means great mm -hmm. and samadhi is enlightenment of direct translation so it's a, it's more than just dying it's transitioning to this like and you know indians think of it very different but i have so many questions for you and one of the things that I really want to ask you about is because this is something I know a lot of people struggle with is that they would love to take these kinds of adventures and journeys and just follow their heart in the way that you have, but they have so much fear. Did you ever have fear of leaving behind these, these things that you were taught were oh, supposed to be the sure. way to live? Yes, because um, a lot of this I did with, with, pretty much no money and i just went and figured out 
I just thought, well, I'll just barter my way through and I'll figure out and I'd do odd jobs here and there. I'd work on a farm, I'd nanny for a couple nights. I would just do whatever and make it work as I went because I didn't have money and I didn't have a plan. So it was more, I didn't even know like exactly what I was getting into. I literally, the way I can explain it is that it was as if there, I always felt like there was like this big hand right on the back of my heart and literally like pushing me and saying, you've got to go, go, go. And it was like my soul just singing and calling and begging and pleading, come on. But my biggest fear was not so much around the physical um, survival aspect of it, because I have a pretty just kind of big sense big sense of trust that things will work out. I've always been a little bit like that. So I will just try things and see what happens. But the my biggest fear, to be honest, was leaving the world of academia because my identity as uh, my, my, how I received validation was through my grades, through my academics, mm. that the accolades and the praises that I received for being such a great student, what had really become my identity. Now, as I start to go into more of the, the understanding of my own psyche, and I started to understand like the heroine's journey in particular, I understood that what had happened for me was an over-identification with the so-called father's daughter, not my personal father, but like patriarchy father, mm -hmm. and that I was pushing and trying to succeed in the way that a dominant culture, patriarchal um, world was saying, this is the way to do it. And that because I was operating on that level, but my soul was like wanting a totally different experience, that there was this push pull and I was divided. And through that internal split and division and the over identification with the dominant culture, patriarchal forces, I was becoming increasingly more and more unhappy. And I didn't have earlier on, I didn't have the tools. So then I reached for alcohol and I reached for all sorts of things mm. to try to numb the pain because I was not happy, but I didn't know what to do about it. I knew how to pray, um, which was great. And I know it was like survival and I knew how to dance. And that's why I was in those clubs because I had a lot of anger, a lot of like all sorts of things. And, um, you know, I was like getting it moving with the energy of the emotions. So I didn't like trap them in my body. I couldn't have told you that at the time. I just knew I needed to dance to be free, mm -hmm. I needed to pray, to be connected. And these are the things that I knew. Now, as I started to study, more and have experiences. I was like, oh, that's what was happening. And I was right. in the night of the soul and I was almost swallowed and I constantly wanted to kill myself. And there's a lot more to say about that. And then, you, yeah. Did you find, cause club life was a big part of my story as well, being out in Vegas. And what I always found was that being in the club and dancing and listening to that music and the vibration of that, the, the music, like penetrating in my soul, it always felt like to me a form of moving meditation because I didn't understand 
how to tap into intuition. Did you feel a similar thing or do you like it was part of the journey that transcended you to the next thing? Yes. Well, to be honest, I dance all the time. Like dancing for me is a spiritual, uh, fully lit up, embodied. Yes. A radical yes for being alive. And it's, it's been my like early on starting at a very young age, I used to just dance in the garage of my family's home and then MTV came out and then I'd be reading all the releases and I'd be dancing with them. So for me, dancing is like just a radical yes of embodiment and intuition, spirituality, celebration of life. I love dancing. Like my yoga school is called Rasa Yoga. And there is even like, you know, very famous images of the Rasa Leela, of the divine play of Krishna and Radha dancing and under the moonlight, you know, that really speaks to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I interviewed somebody the other day who was a very young yoga teacher. She's in her 20s and she um, has studied with, you know, the Yoga Alliance path, not the traditional path. And she was... Um, telling me that she eschewed everything that Iyengar did and did not think that Iyengar was, um, she's like, well, now we know that Iyengar isn't really a good yoga. And I was like, do we, do we, do we know that? Um, and so what I heard in your story was that it's not really just about doing the yoga. It's not about getting your 200 hour and your 300 hour and getting these certificates but it's actually the devotion, and they talk about this in the Yoga Sutras, the devotion of sitting on the steps of the Iyengar Institute every day <laughs> and showing that you were absolutely dedicated to learning this practice and that you wanted to learn from this Mahaguru, this great person that had something to offer. So a lot of my listeners are younger people who don't know about Iyengar. They don't know about bhakti yoga. They don't know about devotion. What would you say to people who are taught in these like yoga alliance structured 200 hours and 300 hour, 50 hour continuing education pockets about like the positives of learning from the great lineages of yoga? Well, I think it's a both and. And for me and my story, I never counted hours. I have so much training behind me and I'm certified in like eight different schools of yoga. And, you know, but I never bothered to count. I, for me, it was never, I didn't think like that. I didn't think, oh, I'm gonna do this teacher training and I'm gonna teach and then I'm done. And, you know, I think that, you know, if it makes you happy, and the way that you're studying is fulfilling to you, keep going. And then let your soul keep speaking to you of the moreness. It's also like in the yoga uh, tradition, it is infinitely expansive, as we know. So you mm -hmm. might come through a gateway of asana, or like I came through the gateway of meditation, uh, actually before asana came later. So it was meditation for me that pulled me in because I needed to heal my mind in a big way. So then I was opened up into mantra and then there's mudra and there's all the alchemy of the practices. I'm a definitely a tantric 
practitioner in the way that I study a lot of the tantric text. So for me, I started with Kashmir Shaivism, and then I um, kept expanding my studies of the Shakta Tantra traditions and of Sri Vidya. And there's so much, there's no end is what I want to say to everyone. So if you're in a yoga alliance track, great, like love it and do it fully. And then you might open something else might come your way. Just stay, stay committed to the practice and let the practice reveal itself to you. And also let the practices keep opening, opening you to the moreness because this you and welcome. I'm so glad that, that you have discovered yoga and yoga have has called you and welcome and welcome yourself fully and know that it just keeps on getting better and better and there's no end to this and it go for it what do you think about people who say like iyengar yoga has nothing to offer to modern yoga well i've never heard that you know so i for me that was a it wasn't my first beginning but it really held me in a beautiful way and it became like a an amazing base and foundation for me. And I've had extraordinary teachers in the Iyengar tradition, not just of asana or study of text, but like as human beings, like as just living, living embodiments of yoga in every way. So I personally am very inspired by the Iyengar tradition and I've never heard that. I've also was an Anusara teacher for 15 years. I was an Ashtanga yoga teacher. I even I had my certificate through Kundalini yoga and I met Yogi Bhajan again in my That's cool. 20s. Yeah. You know, I, I've really explored and I was with the Himalayan Institute and initiated by Pandaji Rajmani in my uh, early 20s as well. So I, just think that all of these uh, traditions or lineages have value. There is yeah. something there that comes through all these gateways. And so I see the value in them and yes. <laughs> yeah, what I hear you saying is that it's not a one-stop shop. It's not like yoga is this one 200 hour teacher training that I got. Yoga is so much more vast and learning different traditions can actually help you grow as a yoga teacher so that you develop your own authentic voice. It, it could be there. Everyone is different. So there are some people that come to Ashtanga and they that is their life time practice. And I revere that, you know, some people are coming in and they have a curiosity that can that wants to hold a few paths at the same time. There's very deep value in sticking with one thing over a long period of time, which I have done too. It's just been like 37 plus years at this point. So like again, in Anusara, I was an Anusara teacher and really held that the, the practices of that lineage in school for 15 years. And it was like some of the most evolutionary, expansive, deeply connected, most invaluable time of my life. And so I would just say there's no, 
one way. You have to really mm -hmm. feel it and know it. And if you have one tradition, one path, that is a way to go deep and keep opening, opening, because we can also get scattered and diffused if we're trying too many things or just jumping all, all around, mm -hmm. right? So I'm a both and person. It's rare that you're gonna, <laughs> that I'm gonna say this is the right way, not like there, we are multidimensional beings and we have different stages in our life where practices are speaking to us. Like right now in my life, I love the whole of yoga and I'm especially deep inside the practices of mantra and everything else is there too. And I'm giving a lot of special focus and study and time and practice in this way as well. Yeah, so it sounds like a more accurate description would be trust your intuition and follow your own path. Mm -hmm. And you have to have discernment and to know <laughs> when something really is intuition or <laughs> when it's escapism or when yeah. it's a bypass, you know, I mean, we have to be diligent in knowing ourselves and knowing the truth. And uh, it's good to have Sangha, community, kula, it's good to practice with others too, to have your own self-practice and to practice with others, to have teachers, to have sadhana, companions. Sadhana means the spiritual practices, have companions, you know, friends that you're practicing deeply with, support each other, receive support from each other. We are here to grow and growing has no end. So if people want to work with you, what are some of the ways that they can connect with you and reach out with you? What are some of the things that you're doing now as a teacher that people can make you a part of their community? Oh, thanks so much for asking. I have a school of yoga called the Rasa Yoga Collective, and it's just an amazing, soulful um, community of great beings. And I, I feel really blessed to be part of this community when the school was first emerging, it really came because people were asking me, they were studying with me and they wanted to be able to call it something. And I didn't really want it to be, I was like, okay, I don't want it to be attached to my name. It has to be like something that is about all of us. And so I was in love with the Rasas, which are it just essentially for the fun of it, it just means like the uh, juice, uh, the juice filled soul of life, and it connects with emotional intimacy, it connects with all the expressions, it connects with dance um, and celebration in these ways, and it also connects with alchemy. So the first thing I have is a alchemy membership, and that's for pre people who want to just practice online with me and we have workshops and we have all sorts of events and weekly practice. Then I have Rasa Yoga 200 and 300 hour <laughs> teacher trainings. And I always have a flow of events like this Friday, we're doing a big Lakshmi event and it's with my teacher Sri Devi Bringy and it's called manifesting a manifesting power of Lakshmi's abundance. So I'm always studying with my teachers and then I bring my teachers to the community and we just keep going and we have- And this is all online? That's all online. And then I have, and I'm traveling all around the world and with my beloved Masood Ali Khan to all the festivals and 
retreats and we have all sorts of things that we offer. So online, Rasa Yoga Collective, my membership's Alchemy, and then find us at the festivals and we have retreats. And we also really help uh, yoga practitioners fall in love with shadow work. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's a good word. That's a, that's a, a big one for us because we are uh, apprentices of shadow work. We've been in a four year training plus a little longer. And so we bring a lot of shadow work into the understanding and for the alchemical transformation, you know, in our psyche, in our relationships, in our lives, through the practices, and really like come to it, like make it real and expand ourselves in a in a way that makes our lives better and other people's lives better and our relationships with ourself and with each other to really flourish and thrive. This is what we're going for. And so not- like, you know, I just want to say the yeah, last thing yeah. is Rasa Yoga is very committed to collective care and to social justice advocacy and to to show up in sincere ways that we can be part of collective change with positive impact like this is really deep in the the heart and root of this practice and also just working on behalf and with together for the climate and for climate justice and just everything like we are here to practice to grow and to bring impactful change on this planet and it's no one person it's it's each of us coming together hooking up together and creating the change together if people want to connect with you they can do that by going to instagram is that your primary yes you primary can social Diana sherman <laughs> and i'll put all of those links below in the description i appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast today. You have so much to share. It's a wealth of experience and information, and it's been a real enjoyable conversation. Um, so thank you very much. If you could leave everyone with one thing, like what would be the one thing that you want everyone to know? Hmm. I mean, the way that I'm kind of wired is for magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm a storyteller and, you know, and I just like to bring things to life. So what I want to say is ignite your magic and bring it, really bring it to the world because your magic is like the world's waiting for it and no one else can bring those codes of magic that you can bring because it's exactly you. So be like really show up, do the work to know yourself, to grow yourself and build this vessel of strength and love and devotion and let spirit and magic fly through you and bring it, really bring it as a gift to the world and celebrate this life. Well, thank you again. Absolutely beautiful. I appreciate you so much. Please do uh, subscribe to the podcast. We've got a lot of really great speakers coming up. And um, I'll see you all on the internet out in the world of social media. 